Born deaf in a tiny town in Paraguay, Atanasio was a young man whose family converted to Christianity. His family wanted him to hear the good news about Jesus, but what could they do if he couldn't hear? With resources stretched thin, the Paraguayan government wasn't able to provide sign language classes in Atanasio's town. But a Bible college graduate with a heart for teaching sign language felt the call. She moved to Paraguay in order to share the gospel with those who couldn't hear. She learned the language as she served the deaf community. Eventually, she was able to teach Atanasio Paraguayan sign language. And this provided the opportunity for the gospel to be shared and received by him, which brought great joy to Atanasio's family. What a wonderful story that displays God's grace. God desires to save sinners, and nothing, not even a disability, can stop his saving purposes. This is good news indeed. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we're in a series called How Sweet the Sound. Yesterday, we heard the story about the author of the most loved and most sung Christian hymn in the English language. John Newton was a slave trader with a hard heart. But Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh shared how the Lord softened his heart and turned him to Christ. And not only did he become a Christian, he also was called into ministry. And the story we want to hear is is sort of one and done. He has this great conversion, and then he writes Amazing Grace or something. And in fact, he looks back, and he's very clear. He says to people, my conversion wasn't like a noonday brightness like Apostle Paul. It was more like the dawning of the day with a kind of twilight. And it was very. It was only very gradually that it got brighter. So he wants us to see his conversion, if you like, not V-shaped, but U-shaped, that it, it takes a while. That's Bruce Hindmarsh the leading scholar in the world on John Newton, and he'll be with us in a moment to share more about his conversion and then his calling to become a pastor. And then we will turn our eyes to Ephesians 2 to see how grace transforms sinners like you and me and John Newton into worshipers of Jesus Christ. After the program, I want to send you a copy of this just-released hardback book called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton and the surprising story behind his song. The biography reads like a novel. It'll have you singing with joy how Christ's grace can transform the hardest of sinners. Yesterday, I mentioned my wife had read 10 pages and said it was the best Christian biography she had ever started. And now she tells me it's the best Christian biography she's ever read. Our number to call after the program is 800-65-HAVEN. 865 Haven, or visit our website. You can make your gift there and get the book at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And now let's open the program with Chris Tomlin's newer version of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once 
was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The I first believed my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns unending. Welcome back to Haven Today here on Tuesday. I'm Charles Morris, and we're continuing in a series this week called How Sweet the Sound. Yesterday, 
We met up with my friend and John Newton scholar, Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. Well, today, let's pick up that conversation again and talk about how slow Newton's conversion to Christianity was. Newton might have been described as a slow learner. You know, he says, I was no longer an infidel. What he means is, I believe the gospel to be true, mm. and I better live up to it. I need to try harder now. Okay, this is serious. And wrong I, phrase. Right? A wrong phrase, Bruce. Yeah. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? And so within a year, he ends up first mate on now on a slave ship, and they're back on the coast of Africa, and he had thought he was going to you know, do well now, and he said, I returned like a dog to its vomit, mm. and mm. Uh, keenly disappointed himself, and again, a course of sinful behavior, and he's back at that same island, Plantain Island, where it was he was called, a slave. Where he was a slave. Okay. And he, again, God gets his attention through a kind of near-death experience. He is hit with, I presume it's malaria, but a tropical fever. He is desperate, and he's crawling on hands and knees to an isolated place on the island. And that's where he says, you know, it's almost like the alcoholic who has to come to the point where they let go completely and just say, I cannot save myself. And that's the point where he realized he needed God to do something for mm-hmm. him that he couldn't do for himself. He said, I durst make no more resolves. And where he turned to Christ, the cross of Christ, the atoning death of Christ, he cried out for forgiveness and mm-hmm. mercy. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any promises. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I desperately need God. And he said, you know, at, he said from that moment, he said he felt a burden lifted off his conscience and he actually said he began to recover physically. Wow. If you like, in the storm, his conscience awakened. And then on this island is where he really turned to Christ. He is uh, maybe 23, 24, okay. something All like right. that. And he completes this voyage uh, where he is first mate on a slave ship. And he's making his first kind of very faltering steps in his faith. He's writing letters to his childhood pastor. Mm. And then 1750 back in in England, he becomes captain of a slave ship. And, you know, Craig and I wrote this, and the way we wrote the book, it's vividly retold in real time, like you have a front row seat in a film or theater, so you're experiencing it happen in real time without a lot of commentary. This is the part where we feel, the reader, where all of us feel uncomfortable. It's like two tectonic plates are overlapping, Mm. and we can feel the tremors, because we're aware that Newton has turned to Christ, and yet he's still, he's captaining a slave ship. He's still a captain of a slave ship. Which is very hard for someone like us today yeah. in our culture to understand. It's horrific, isn't it? It really is. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, and we're on with Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. He's written a book with Craig Borlase on Amazing Grace. He's a scholar. That's what his doctorate is in, his dissertation that he wrote from Oxford. Bruce, let's jump ahead. He gets married to that childhood sweetheart. He's at home in England. He can't stomach the slave trade anymore. He has some kind of a seizure, maybe. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the beginning of his ending his seamanship and seafaring that's right. that's career. Right. Let's go to a little market town called Olney, a place where you've actually lived when you were writing your dissertation, a place where you and I visited together and stayed and just enjoyed the company of people. Tell me how he became 
a Church of England pastor in a little town called Olney. And what happened when he was there? Well, he leaves the slave trade in 1754. And there are signs he talked about. It It was, he felt like he was a jailer and this business of having to do with chains and shackles and so on. And it's hard to know how the process by which he develops his anti-slavery sentiment. But there's signs that after he leaves the slave trade, there's some signs that very early, as early as maybe 1762, he actually is already moving among anti-slavery advocates, and he's contributing to that, to the building up of that kind of sentiment. But really, he, he leaves the slave trade because of a, a fit, a seizure, never happened again. Was it psychosomatic? I don't know, but he has a real seizure. Mm-hmm. And I suppose like you don't want somebody flying a plane if they're going to have a seizure, they don't want him. Anyway, he's out of the slave trade. But for about uh, 10 years, he's a layperson. He has a civil service job in the customs port at Liverpool, and he becomes self-taught. He teaches himself Latin and Greek and Hebrew and even Syriac, (laughs) and he becomes aware of the revival that's going on. He meets Whitfield and Wesley, and his heart, he feels like, if I've received mercy, how can I help other people find God's mercy? And he wants to be a part of this. He begins... um, you know, speaking, even as a layperson, speaking and sometimes preaching. And, um, and he feels a real call to the ministry. This is Haven Today with Bruce Hindmarsh. And I'm thankful he could join me again here on this series, How Sweet the Sound. And... You're hearing John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace, to the sound of bagpipes. The hymn has been played in many settings, from joyful worship services to solemn funeral processions. It's also worth mentioning that this hymn has been sung in a variety of languages. I don't know if this is what Newton envisioned when he first wrote the words to this great hymn, but over the last 250 years, This testimony to God's grace has blessed men and women, boys and girls all over the world. Just listen to a few lines of Amazing Grace, sung in Spanish. Next time you sing this song, whether in your car or at church, why don't you stop and pause for a moment? There are others all around the globe singing with you. And what makes God's grace so amazing to sing about is recalling where we started. What did John Newton write? This amazing grace saved a wretch like me. In order to appreciate the good news of the gospel, we have to acknowledge the bad news. And I can't think of a better passage to do this than Ephesians 2. That's where the Apostle Paul began the passage in the following way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Sounds pretty bleak. But that is our reality before Christ. 
Without God's saving grace, we are spiritually dead. We are unable to come before God's holy presence. In fact, as you read on in Ephesians 2, you see that we didn't want to come before God's presence at all. Verse 3 tells us that we live to gratify the cravings of our flesh and were by nature deserving of wrath. Life without Christ is a life in darkness. Paul goes to great lengths to describe the bottomless pit that humanity finds itself in because of our sin. Just look around the world you're living in and look at all the pain and the devastation that humanity has caused. But we don't even have to look at the world, do we? There are days, months, seasons, even years where we feel as though we are in the pit. Sometimes it's because of our sin. Other times, it's because of the sins of others. What are we to do in these moments? Do we throw our hands up in the air and just give up? Do we allow our sin to define who we are? Or do we remember that we have a gracious and faithful God who lifts us out of the pit? The first three verses of Ephesians 2 are a little difficult to read and reflect on, but thank the Lord Paul doesn't stop there. Throughout the history of the church, Christians have rightly emphasized two tiny but powerful words, and those words are, but God. In passages like Ephesians 2, there's a lot of bad news. But just as we begin to believe that there is no hope, the author writes two little words, but God. Listen to verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Though we've done nothing to deserve it, God has provided a way out of this bottomless pit. And though we were his enemies, God has called us to become his friend. Out of the abundance of his love, God brought life to those once dead. Can someone who is dead revive himself? Well, as far as I'm aware, that has yet to happen. Someone must revive you. Which is why Paul ends verse 5 with some very interesting words. You've heard them before. It is by grace you have been saved. Our salvation is not something we earned. It was earned for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection, nothing less than marvelous grace. This grace will find us every time that we find ourselves back in the pit, not because we're so good, but because God is good. Recall that story of the young man I shared with you a while ago, Atanasio. This passage reminds me of his story. He was born deaf. There was nothing that he could do. Adonasio was unable to hear this message of the gospel, though he was in great need of it. But by God's grace, a follower of Jesus was used to bring the message of the gospel in a way he could understand it, even though he cannot hear, and he can't even sing the hymn. Similarly, there's nothing that we can do. You and I must rely completely on God's grace to save us. We can be assured, though, that the grace of God will never run out for us. Since salvation is freely given to us by the Lord, there is nothing for us to say except amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, 
but now am found, was blind or deaf, but now I see and hear. What a wonderful message, but it's by no means the end. Why did God show us this amazing grace? Well, let's read verse 10 together of Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God didn't save us in order to stay in our own little bubbles. God saved us to go and to do these good works that he has prepared for us. So why don't you take some time today and reflect What are those good works he's calling you to do in your life? Maybe you have a loved one in need of a Savior. Maybe you need Jesus as your Savior. Today is the opportunity to respond to God's grace in your life by sharing his love and grace, first with yourself, but then with others. What a reason do I have to wake up with the rising sun? And not be held down by the weight of all the things I've done What reason do I have to feel this hope instead of hurt? How can it be I don't receive the judgment I deserve? Wave upon wave of grace upon grace Endlessly washing my sins away I know the only reason I can stand here free of all my shame is wave upon wave of grace upon grace upon grace how can you see me at my worst and still say I am loved what promise can I stand on when I don't feel good enough? When the enemy's reminding me of all that I've done wrong, what freedom do Wave upon wave of grace upon
make me new again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Matthew West, grace upon grace, haven today, and how sweet the sound. And I'm glad we could spend a little more time with my friend Bruce Hindmarsh here on the program today. If you missed him yesterday, take a listen to the program. We still have it there on our website to learn more about John Newton's life. And I also want to highly recommend, in fact, my wife highly recommends the new book he co-wrote called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton and the Surprising Story Behind His Song. This year, it's been 250 years since Amazing Grace was first sung. Now, there are so many books about Newton out there, but none of them are like this special book that reads more like a novel than a dusty book of history. My wife and I have so enjoyed reading it. You will as well. And I know your heart will be stirred as you reflect on the grace and mercy of Jesus in your life as you read the retelling of John's story and also the writing of the hymn. For your gift to the ministry, I want to send you a copy of this just-released hardback book, Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. You just need to call us right now. Call 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN, or go to our website and make your gift there at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow for more of How Sweet the Sound as we talk about the great story of grace? It all is credited to Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Do you remember road trips before we all had GPS on our phones or even in our cars, there was a sense of excitement to it. And that came from never being completely sure that you were going to arrive at your destination without a couple of wrong turns. At least, that's my experience. Sometimes my GPS takes me to the wrong place too. But how can we be sure there won't be a detour in our relationship with the Lord? Will Jesus ever steer us wrong? Thankfully, one of the most beautiful promises in all the Bible is found in Psalm 148. This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Our Savior will take us all the way home. Get started with Anchor Devotional today. Visit GetAnchor.com.